0: Well, hello,
1: everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SCU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co host, Michael Steiner, SCU chief of staff. And so excited today to introduce our guest for the show, Dr. Walter Kim. Dr. Kim is a pastor, a scholar, a thought leader. He also serves as the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, has been for over the last two years. It's truly an honor to have you with us today. Oh, what a delight to be here. Really fantastic. As we start our conversation today, uh, uh, Walter, your experience with uh, diversity has really sparked, I think, your passion for discipleship, for cultural evangelism evangelism. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your story and, and your calling, how that all developed and and what really sparked, we use the phrase around here, your divine design.
2: Mm, thank you, Kent, for that question. Um, so I did not grow up in an evangelical household. My uh, family immigrated from Korea during the 60s uh, at a time that was you know very complicated, right? To try to figure out not only life as an immigrant, but um, what it means to be an American at a time where that question was even contested, right, and challenged. Um, But all along the way, people of faith welcomed me. Mm. There was the the Lutheran pastor that helped my parents figure out the immigration system. There was an Irish Catholic family in the Bronx in whose basement we lived in and uh, who f- helped me figure out how to ride my big wheel and get to the park. Wow, that's great. And then there was an evangelical youth pastor in my high school years who introduced me to Jesus um, in a conversation that obviously was life-changing of eternal consequence, but also life-changing and temporal con- consequence, right? Some of the decisions that I've made in terms of my career really flowed out of that transformational encounter with yeah. Jesus. And so, in this way, um, you know, other than the providence of God, I think, of myself as an accidental evangelical, yeah. oh, wow. but yeah. by the grace of God, God. Yeah. become a Christ follower. Yeah. And, you know, the journey to the NAE involved becoming a pastor, involved campus ministry, involved uh, serving in a church in Boston yeah. that was instrumental in um, in the life of American evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Park Street Church was the church from which the NAE had been founded, yeah. uh, as well as a number of other evangelical institutions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, the time there introduced me to the NAE, mm-hmm. uh, both as an institution and organization, but also as a living network yeah. of Christ-following leaders. and by God's grace, led to this opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, and what's cool is I've, you're painted this broad picture of the impact that evangelicalism and, and different faith movements have had in your life. Yeah. How much do you think is is your experience kind of a, a microcosm of, what, of how evangelicalism has impacted American society and society as a whole?
2: That's right. I, 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 microcosm is a great way of describing it. Mm-hmm. You know, my story obviously is highly personal and individual, mm-hmm. and yet it could be replicated. Yeah time and time again mm-hmm. in various communities. So, you know, I, I think of um, Boston. So, 20 years mm-hmm. yeah. life of ministry in Boston in what, by all accounts, is the, one of the most unchurched areas of our country. It's the place where, you know, church planters go to see their dreams die, mm-hmm. so yeah. to speak, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but... Actually, God is working very powerfully and missiologists wrote about the quiet revival of Boston Mm. that actually uh, during the the kind of turn of the century into the early 2000s, there was an explosion, despite Mm -hmm. being a very unchurched explosion of churches during that time period. Many of them were immigrant churches, Mm. the Laotian church, Portuguese church. And you are seeing in that area of the country, the kind of area that's unchurched, right. the church actually thriving. Mm. And it's wrapped up in this immigrant story of people discovering faith in Christ sure. in a context of community mm-hmm. as they're navigating what it means to be integrated into American society yeah. as as a whole.
0: It, it's really And so quite what powerful what do you story. think are some of the implications for, you know, evangelical pastors, maybe some young pastors that are graduating, they're going into a ministry context. I love that phrase the the quiet revival, the quiet on that side. What do they need to be thinking about as they're inter- interacting with their communities as they're going into this space? How can they kind of capture some of that spark? Yeah, I think that uh,
2: I think a lot is being asked of pastors now. Not only do you need to think about preaching the Word of God, uh, caring for people, um, but the way that you preach the Word of God and the way that you care care for people now needs to be shaped by a diversity of life experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The kinds yeah. of questions that people from different communities ask are going to be very different, right? Mm-hmm. And so, a person that has lived you know, multiple generations in America, is very comfortable in navigating the educational system, they don't have a set of questions that another person who's parents has never navigated the American educational system, has a completely different set of questions, Mm -hmm. and care for that person will need to look different. And again, different cultural experiences and life mm -hmm. settings mean that the kinds of questions that one asks about the Bible are different. Same Bible, different sets of questions, Mm -hmm. and now pastors have to become not only experts in the Word of God and the care of the soul of people.
1: But need to become missiologists, right? right. Yeah, everyone so is a missiologist now. Yeah. yeah, that's good. You know, you actually received your PhD from Harvard University in Near Eastern languages and, and civilizations. Tell us about your experience with education up until that point in your life, and and how can uh, our listeners how can they succeed in environments where where diversity may be a profound issue?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I um. When I showed up at Harvard, uh, the first day, on campus, I made my way to the student fair, graduate Mm -hmm. student fair, and I found uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. so glad, because I wanted to get plugged into a Christian fellowship. And when I shared um, which department that I was going to be a part of, uh, the person kind of shook her head and said, (laughs) oh, man, that's... That That's the department where people go and they lose their faith oh, um, yeah. because they discover a, a context and a way of teaching ancient history that brings into question the Bible um, right. as an ancient document. And I'm like, wow, welcome to Harvard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> Isn't that sure, really right. challenging? Okay. And yet, what I, my deep conviction mm-hmm. is that there should be no question that Christians ought to fear. Right. If we believe that God is the God of all truth, that Jesus Christ really is who He claimed to be. Of course, there are going to be hard questions, some of which I have no good answer for, yeah. but God has proven Himself faithful. Mm. He is the God of all knowledge. Yeah. Yep. And I'm eager to learn from any source, whether it is a sacred or a secular source, because I have a fundamental conviction that God is the God of all truth in right, so. every dimension. And so, I I, I love the opportunity to interact from people of different backgrounds, Mm. different faith backgrounds, or no faith backgrounds, because I always feel that there's a discovery of something, Mm -hmm. an angle, a a question, a comment, that illuminates uh, my understanding of God and His world. And I need not be afraid of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, what I love about that is, you know, there's, especially in today's, Society and different things. Everything's so polar, right? Like, yeah. what side are you on? Was it? But there's so many, I think, believers, faith followers who are just naturally curious. You know, there's so many students who would love to pursue these kind of areas, these kind of things, but they they have that same fear. They're like, okay, I don't want to lose my faith, or their parents have that fear for them. What advice would you give to to those kind of students or those kind of people? They're like, man, I would love to study ancient civilizations, you know, historical texts, but I don't want to lose my faith. How do they How do they approach those kind of fields?
2: Yeah, I, I think. Um, This is a challenge to the church, Mm -hmm. uh, that our discipleship has to be so deep, our humility so genuine, our curiosity so rich, that we can navigate challenges. Because if it's not an intellectual challenge, at some point you will have a personal crisis, a family member Mm -hmm. die. a a loss of a job, Mm -hmm. a broken relationship, personal sickness. And so, it's not merely the intellectual challenges, and most often, it is not the intellectual challenges that cause people to lose their faith. Mm -hmm. It is the inability to find God in human suffering Mm -hmm. when it becomes personal. And to me, this points to the deeper question of what are we doing to disciple our people into a faith that could sustain and even thrive in suffering, yeah. much less mm-hmm. the cultural and intellectual right. challenges right. of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Speaking of different cultures and and unifying people, the National Association of Evangelicals, obviously, I mean, it's a large uh, organization that works with thousands of churches from various denominations. Um, Tell us some of the lessons you have learned in your position as president of this organization. What are some guiding principles that uh, you can share with us as you've led all the different elements of this organization so far? Yeah. One, keep the main thing the main main thing. thing. That's good. Yeah, and this has been
2: repeated in so many different contexts, whether in business or in the pastorate or whatever it may be, but it's a good. Dictum for life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a good principle of what is the main thing? What really binds us together as followers of Jesus? Yeah. It's Jesus. Right. And to see um, that the richness of the kinds of contributions that can be engaged with when you're in relationship Mm -hmm. with people who think and act differently and sure. yet have this fundamental conviction that Jesus is the light of the world, right. the Savior of the yeah. world, it, it enriches us. So, one, one is keep the main thing the main thing, two, to have a, a, just a, an appetite, a curiosity, mm-hmm to be open to the ways of God, surprised yeah. by the ways that God can show up. Mm-hmm. And, and the third thing is um, to recognize that not everyone is a foot, not everyone is a hand, right. mm. and that you should neither feel jealous nor should you judge when God calls people to different expressions and missions in life. Mm. And that's true in the local church, yeah. But it's also true in the body of Christ more broadly. Mm-hmm. Not everyone will be called to certain types of um, social implications of the gospel. Yeah. Not everyone will be called to be a preacher. Not everyone a theologian. Not everyone called to the practical act of being present in a person in crisis, mm. uh, counseling them. And yet we need all of them. Our tendency is, mm. you know, as the proverb goes, um, when you're a hammer, you think everything's a nail. Like, right. when you're a particular tool, you think the problem and the solution is just always yeah, sure. going to be mm-hmm. hammer away. Yeah. When in the toolbox of God's kingdom, you need hammers, you need mm-hmm. screwdrivers, you need wrenches, Everything. you need, you know, yeah. duct tape, you need it right. all. The more we can gain that sense of appreciation. Mm-hmm main thing, the main thing, a curiosity to the wonder in which God creates yeah. people and and movements and a fundamental belief that we need each other for the full range of this work mm-hmm. in God's yeah. kingdom.
0: It's oh. such an important oh. word, especially for evangelicals today, post-pandemic, right? So many of the ways the the structures that we thought of what it meant to be evangelical, what it meant to be a successful evangelical, turned out to not work in this new society and the new not work in the new values that are in there. You think of all these different leaders that have, you know, they had things happen in their lives or they have things that disqualify them from ministry. In your front row seat at, at the National Association of Evangelicals, what are some of the trends you're seeing? What's, what's happening in the evangelical world that we as leaders, as Christ followers, need to be thinking about going forward? Yeah,
2: the, the, uh, there are several things. I, I think one is we uh, need to continue to revisit the private, personal, and public dimensions of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, evangelicals have a rich history of a personal transformation, you know, coming to faith in Christ. My own story is that, right? Yeah, I've, right. I came to faith um, because an evangelical pastor, after watching Star Wars with me, uh, pulled out the four spiritual laws, shared the gospel, and I accepted Christ in a parking lot. There you go. Personal transformation. That's so true. But there are public dimensions to faith Mm -hmm. that um, I think evangelicals are not as well aware of. So, we have tons of seminars and books on how to pray, how to share your faith, Mm -hmm. how to fix your marriage. We know how to marry people, how to counsel them through crisis. Mm When's the last time we've really engaged with the civic and public discipleship? Right. What does it mean that individuals are changed and institutions need to be changed? What are the theological structures of the powers and principalities mm-hmm. of this world that get worked out in systems, in institutions, in public discourse, in society at large? That's not a place where evangelicals are strong. Right. They're very strong in the personal engagement mm-hmm. on these social issues. Right. But that's different, right? Mm-hmm. I, my life has changed, so I want to love my neighbor, I'll help in the soup kitchen, I'll do some you know, good mm-hmm. work in the community. That's not the same thing as having a theologically informed approach to the public dimension of faith. It's still a private response to public oh, problems, right? Pro- mm-hmm. right? And um, this is a huge question I think we need to ask um, that I think other parts of the world, um, other evangelicals in different parts of the world, they have been living it because they have lived in a minority context Mm -hmm. of faith. Every question always had a public dimension of how can the local church survive when it is persecuted, when it's underground, Mm -hmm. when all my colleagues are atheists and maybe even committed to the destruction of faith, mm. I'm going to have to need to work out the public dimensions of my faith when you are a Daniel living in Babylon. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a country that has a historic faith uh, that mm-hmm. has been informed by Christianity and you know, people are going to debate you know, how Christian was America anyway, but when you at least have a sense of being in the majority of faith. Uh, as a Christian judeo-Christian tradition, there are certain things you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. in an increasingly polaristic, you know polarized and plural society, we now have to actually think about what does it mean to be faithful right. from the minority, from the yeah. margin, from the you know outside, mm-hmm. and not to be afraid of that, but to actually look at that as a missional opportunity, yeah. not as a loss of a Christian past but the gain of a missional opportunity where many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world are living that Mm -hmm. on a daily
1: basis. Yeah. Wow. So good. Uh, love your voice, love your leadership, your influence, and and bringing life to these issues and challenges. Uh, we're going to close our, our conversation today uh, with a fire round. It's always our uh, quick uh, uh, two or three questions surrounding kind of everything that we discussed. Again, just uh, wanting to grab some quick, practical, uh, applicable pieces of advice from your experiences for our listeners. So I think we'll do uh, two mm-hmm. or three questions. So Michael,
0: if you want to lead off with a quick, Question. Awesome. Starting us off with how how can leaders guard their integrity? How can they guard their their character as they're stepping into these kind of platform and leadership roles? Yeah. That, fantastic. One, a, a rich
2: devotional life, deeply rooted uh, in the scriptures and a life of prayer, put in the context of a local community where people actually know you and can confront you. Mm. And you are humbly submitting to someone else. Yep. I think that is a great danger that leaders have others that turn to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are the leaders finding in their life right. that they could
0: um, follow yeah. Yeah. and learn from? Well, that's so powerful because that, that hits at that verse of… of Confess your sins to one another, right? Like that's that's that practice that we. It can, I think it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier. With we're so good at personal transformation, but confessing your sins to one another is a public thing. It's something you do in a community, and we got to cultivate it together. I love that. Sorry, I had to comment on that. Yeah, good.
1: From a practical standpoint, and you kind of touched on this: living in an anti-Judeo culture. How how can we respond to criticism and challenges from non-believers without being too confrontational in a way? Mm. I think of the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17
2: when he was speaking to the Athenian yes. philosophers. Yes. Follow his example. He expressed humility mm. in quoting Greek philosophers and poets, so he understood and sympathized with his audience. Mm. He was Mm. generous toward them, but clear on the differences. Mm -hmm. So take time to affirm what is true of our common humanity, a, a thirst for significance and meaning and relationships that matter. That's something we all share by God's grace. We should affirm that and build off of that commonality before we move quickly to that which differentiates us. And there are differences. Mm -hmm. And Paul got to that, the resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, Mm -hmm. the judgment before Christ. But he didn't begin with that. He began with affirming what held all humans together, a a, a thirst for meaning and purpose.
0: I mm. love it, love it. So Last, question. Last question as we close out our time together, how can evangelicals advocate um, uh, for justice, you know, push against injustice as a society to be, enter that public sphere? What are some principles for them as is their is there thinking going forward? Yeah. Uh,
2: we often pit justice against other virtues, but really justice is the thing that co-he- co- mm. is cohesive of many other virtues. So you need to have mercy. You need to have compassion. You need to identify with those who are on the margins Mm -hmm. and suffering. You need to make their concerns your concerns. You need to incarnate. Mm -hmm. And that is what makes Jesus so incredibly powerful that his commitment to justice and the defense of the poor, the oppressed, uh, those without, reflected his deep presence in the lives of other people. And that presence led to affection, and that affection led to commitment, and that commitment led to justice.
1: Wow, so rich. Well, uh, Dr. Kim, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership for your insights and your practical wisdom um, as we navigate uh, the privilege to be a Christ follower in in our context and, and in our world. So thank you for being a part of this conversation today. Kent Michael, thank you so much for having me on.
0: If you want to stay up to date with Dr. Kim, you can follow him on Instagram at Pastor Walter Kim. And for more leadership content, check us out on Instagram, Kent underscore Engel or at Dr. Michael Steiner or on Twitter at Kent Engel. You can also visit our website, kentengel.com, sign up for our weekly leadership newsletter. And if you are watching us on YouTube right now, now would be a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content right to your feed every single week. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.